Well, our journey with Jesus uh, continues this week as we continue to go through the book of John. And uh, this morning we're looking at John chapter 11, so I invite you to open up in your Bibles to John chapter 11. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, go and get one in the back. We'll wait. It's no big deal. Just go grab one so that you can see it right before your eyes. And uh, we want you in God's Word so that you can trust God at His Word uh, in your daily lives. And you know, as you think about what it looks like to believe, what it looks like to believe, that's, that's the whole reason for the writing of the book of John. John in chapter 20, verse 31 writes, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's all that, that, you know, John, John specifically wrote this so that we wouldn't just see him, but that we would believe in Jesus and we would trust him with our lives. And then once we trust him, we would live that, that it would be an experience with God through Christ. Not that it would be a doctrine, not that it would be just something you, you know, you say you go to that church and belong to a religion. This is much more of a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship You have experiences with him. And so as we look at this, that's what we're going to call you into. An experience with this time-tested truth about Christ revealed in our daily lives. And so faith grows when we don't just know it, but that when we trust it and then when we experience it. And as we go through this journey through the book of John, we have seen this great adventure with Jesus where his disciples literally experienced who he was. We see the miraculous. We see the spectacular. We also see the confrontational aspect of Jesus and how his claims get in our grill and uh, what happens when he doesn't do what we want him to do. We realize that it's much different than my plan for God. It's God's plan for me. It's his will, not my own. And so he's calling us into this and Jesus is being presented in a very personal view by John. He's not distant. God is very close through Christ. He's identifying with us, not only uh, in his humanity, but also in his deity. He's even connecting us emotionally to Christ. And we've seen up to this point that Jesus engages our problems and he calms our storms. We've, we've seen that it's his will, not our own. So we have to learn to trust his will. So many of us in America want to make God obedient to us. And so we pray to him, make this happen for me. Make this successful for me. And when he doesn't work and follow our orders, we don't want to trust in him. And the Bible kind of turns that up on end and says, no, you are part of a grander story than your little pipe dream. You're called into the vision of God. And God wants to call you into that so you'd passionately follow him and experience him in your lives. We also got a, a glimpse into suffering on why do things happen? Why, do, why does suffering and pain happen in our lives? And today, we're going to be looking at death, the depth of our suffering. Death is inevitable for us all, and we can try to avoid it or delay it. We can try to ignore it or distract ourselves from the reality of it. But Jesus, in this passage, is going to engage death for us. And he's going to do so that, that we would trust and believe in him with our death. I know you, you, know, you didn't wake up going, oh boy, I hope he talks about death this morning. But, but that's the reality. We try to put that off and, and kind of keep it out there. And our world says that when you die, it's over. 
So, so you're to take all those days before you die and live like there's no tomorrow. So this is life. Experience life. He who dies with the most toys wins. And you have all that picture of accumulating and making this life the greatest of experiences. Because when you're gone, baby, you're gone. And scripture comes and just flips that. And says, no, what about your death? Who's got your soul? Who's your life at death? Jesus is going to answer that question. And one of my mentors in the ministry, Ben Hayden, would always preach John 11 at a funeral. And he would say, Jesus is teaching us how to die. Because he believed that you don't really know how to live until you know how to die. And so Jesus is taking us and he's trying to grow our faith that if we can trust him at our death, then we certainly can live for him with our lives, right? And you know, if you could have that confidence right now, if you really had that confidence that at my death, it's a new beginning only through Christ. And, and you've got eternity with him. Far more of your existence will be, will be in eternity than it is in this present life. This life is just like a little blip compared to eternity with God in heaven because of Christ. If you can have that confidence at your death, then you certainly ought to be have that confidence to live in life. However, if you don't have that confidence in death... Boy, you're gonna be you're gonna be weaving in and out, lack of confidence in life, not really knowing about that, trying to avoid that, trying to ignore it. If we engage it, folks, we're gonna grow in our experience with God. So let's take a look in John chapter eleven, beginning with verse one. Got your Bibles open to it? Good. <laughs> okay. John chapter eleven, verse one. It says, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for, catch this, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. What we're going to get with an experience with Jesus is this. In Jesus, we experience the desire of God. Look at the desire of God. It says this. He says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You know, that's really the expe- you know, that, that really answers that question. What's the expectation of Mary and Martha here? It's, Lord, get here. Get here. He's sick. The guy's dying. And, and get here. The one you love. And it's that expectation that if God really loved us, he wouldn't allow us to, to die. If God really loved us and cared for me, he wouldn't have bring this suffering into my life. There wouldn't be that diagnosis in my life. I would have lost my job. I wouldn't have, that marriage wouldn't have broken up. If God really loved me, then why are these things happening to me? And, and Jesus is answering it with a satellite picture. It's the big picture. It's the big story. He's saying, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, for all things, it's the desire of God to bring glory to himself. For all things. All things. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says this, Yet there is for us one God, the Father, 
from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We're being taught here that everything exists for the glory of God. Everything. All of us exist for the glory of God. And every day is going to be your answer to why do I exist. You're either going to be about your little vision and your glory and your image, or you're going to be about the image of God being reflected in you. I've lived for my image. I've had days where I've woken up and I said, this is going to be about me. Now, I didn't really say that, but I acted like it. How are people sensitive to me? That person hurt me last week. I'm going to get them back this week. And you live in revenge because my image is compromised. And there's a, you know, we can log on Facebook and manage our image. And, and we can have, I mean, crazy conversations going on there if it's all about us. Or you can wake up and say, this is not going to be about me. It's about you. It's about you becoming God greater than me today. Instead of trying to project my image, I'm going to reflect your image in my life. I'm going to still get on Facebook, but it's going to be about you. It's not going to be about me. And the picture is, sorry, I'm picking on Facebook this morning, but I think it's a reality. We can try to manage our PR or we can give up ourselves and reflect more of Jesus. That's what your, that's what your life is going to be all about. And here you exist and I exist to reflect more of God in this world. And God will not call you kicking and screaming. He will not say, you will give me glory, doggone it. No, he, he lets us have that decision. So we, we, we get what we ask for. You want more of yourself? God gives you more of yourself. You want more of him? When you live to reflect him, you get more of him. You get a greater appetite of him. That's why as long as it's going to be about yourself, you will want nothing to do with Jesus. As long as it's in your mind, in your heart, in your little world, it's, you're going to want nothing to do with Jesus. And you will not engage him in times of victory or in times of crisis if it's not going to be about him. So all things, you exist, your marriage exists, your children exist to reflect the glory of God. Not your own family pride, but the glory of God. Your company, if you own one, your school, they don't want you to say this, but it exists. Everything exists for the glory of God. All your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure exist to reflect the glory of God because all things exist for it. And not just for all things, but in all times. And in the story of God, we see the glory of God being revealed on earth. And that's the picture. Our earth and our world is a broken world. It's a broken world of sin and rebellion from God. It happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That although that God created a sinless world where he was loving us and we were loving him, where we were loving each other and others were loving us, We chose a life different. We rebelled from this God who crafted this creation like this. And because of Genesis 3 and we walked away, man, we have what we have. We have brokenness. We have the curse. We have death. And death has been passed on to us all because of sin. And we deal with it. But God didn't give up on this world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And Jesus came and he lived on this earth and he dealt with our pain. We see him in a very personal way in the book of John, relating to us, being God with us, not God in the distance, not God waiting for us to measure up to a certain performance level in our faith before he would save us, but a God in his grace, recognizing the depth of our sin and depravity and stepping down into human existence and saving us from that, of conquering death for us so that the glory of God may be revealed in all times. You and I live in a very broken time where we have the patience of God waiting for more people to trust in Christ until he returns. On that day when he returns, every wrong will be made right. We suffer now, but then we will be relieved. We go through loss and sorrow now, but then we will be restored. We endure pain and and, uh, loss right now but we will be redeemed for eternity then. He came first in the book of John as a meek and lowly servant to guide and selflessly give his life for us. But when he returns again, he will be a mighty warrior, judging sin, punishing the power of sin and death, conquering evil, restoring justice, righteousness, establishing peace on earth, and good will win. Good will win because God wins in the end. And, and heaven comes to earth and, and uh, a new heaven and a new earth are created and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of us will say, yes, yes, Jesus is Lord. And others will say, oh no, Jesus is Lord. But every tongue will confess it because everyone exists for his glory. And it's the longing. It's the longing of each of our hearts held captive in sin and darkness that this rescuer and redeemer and restorer will reign forever and ever. Because in all times, the desire of God is that all things bring glory to him. So for all things in all times and through all circumstances, every circumstance is an opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed. And when we experience pleasure and pain... Romance and breakups, joy and sorrow, plenty and in want, laughter and in tears, God will be glorified in all things. Do you see what's happening? Nothing, nothing, not even death itself can stand against the glory of God being revealed on earth. We continue. And Jesus goes and he arrives at where Mary and Martha were in Bethany. And in verse 17, it says this. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And we see Jesus moving through this environment of sorrow and of loss. And then we see Mary coming out to him in verse 32. Skip over there with me. It says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Sound familiar? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved them, loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? In Jesus, we experience the depth of God's love. Here, Jesus actually comes into an environment of loss and mourning. Four days late in our economy. Lord, if you would have been here, his dear friends, Mary and Martha said, if you would have been here, the guy wouldn't have died. And we get a pause from the power of God and we see his love. We see his emotion in the shortest Shortest verse of the Bible, John eleven thirty five. it says this, Jesus wept. You want to start memorizing the Bible? Begin with this one. Jesus wept. It shows you a picture, not only in the humanity of Jesus, but also the deity of Jesus, because Jesus is embracing our loss. In verse 33, it says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There was a tension there of his humanity and deity, kind of like a parent watching a child navigate through hurt and loss and suffering while also limiting manipulation or control in their lives. But we don't see, we don't see Jesus rising, you know, coming on the scene and going, hey, don't worry, be happy. Hey, come on, I'm all about joy. Would you stop the crying? Buck up, deal with this. This is life. We see him, we see him showing three things. We see him showing compassion. And compassion means that we suffer with. We suffer with people. We see the God of the universe in a sin-bound world, hurt by the loss of death. We see him suffering with people. We see him giving comfort. They experienced his identity with him in their sorrow. They called him Lord. They trusted in him. They believed in him. And they found comfort when he was there. And he gave consolation. They literally felt his love. They said, see how he loved him. Boy, this is, he loved them in the midst of this great loss. And what is God showing us through this? What is God inviting us into an experience in life because Jesus engaged death here? Well, there's a few things. Jesus allows us to mourn our losses. When you lose something on earth, do you think God is affected by that? Do you think God is, do you think God cries for us when we lose someone or something? I think he does. I think he does. This passage shows that he's willing to engage loss. I think it's okay for you to mourn losses. It's okay to do that. You lose your job, it hurts, cry. Allow 
allow a loss to happen. We all have to mourn our losses. I remember counseling with a woman who had a brain tumor, and as they were lifting the brain tumor out, they, they snipped a nerve that went to her face, and this whole side of her face from that time on just dropped. And um, the tumor was benign, but her face was never the same. And, and she got great news, and she got very difficult news, because she looked in the mirror, and everything changed. It's okay to cry? Yes. Is it okay to, to mourn your loss? Definitely. Some, somewhere in the recesses of plastic Christianity, we think we ought to smile at every time we lose something, that we should be unaffected, that we ought to be, you know, uh, just, just solid at all times and never show emotion. And here Jesus is weeping so that he gives us permission to weep when we lose something. It hurts. This is not what we were created for in a world of sin and brokenness. Secondly, we see the emotions of God. God has emotions. Now, he's not led, and emotions don't dictate to him, but he includes them in our response to the brokenness and fallenness of this world. God is emotional here. He cries. Three different places. He was deeply moved. But then you also see his response to the power of sin and death on earth. And that is one that's worth looking at. This, this whole uh, expression where Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled comes from a classical Greek, Greek word which refers to a horse being bound when it should be running wild. And it's bound. It has the power to break things, but it, it resists it. And it's frustrated. And it's, it's anxious about this. And, and if we can just translate to what this looked like with Jesus is he saw that the enemy had robbed the life of Lazarus. And in God, and fully God and fully man, he gets angry with death. He hates death. And he approaches to death. John Calvin, in his commentary on the book of John, writes this, that Jesus approaches this as a champion who prepares for conflict. You have Jesus just bucking up, ready to face death. He wasn't this effeminate, Swedish man who just walked up like this. No, he stretches up and goes after death like this. If you're Swedish, I didn't mean anything by that, okay? <laughs> we paint Jesus that he was just so, you know, passive. And here he approaches it and he goes, death. Let's go. And he goes there and we join him now. Look at this. Verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, same word, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor. odor. The guy's been there for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That's why everything exists. So they took the stone away, and Jesus looked it up, lifted up his eyes, and he said, He prayed. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. 
Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What are we finding with Jesus? Well, first of all, we're seeing his declaration. His declaration of God's offer. The declaration has come through. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is declaring, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you see this? He's staying away as someone is dying. And he arrives in our economy many days too late. It's over. The body's rotting in the grave. The impossible would be that he would come and he would comfort everyone and then raise him from the dead. But Jesus does that because he is the resurrection and the life. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And he says, unbind him and let him go. And that's the the other thing that we see with Jesus. Because with Jesus, we experience the death of death. Jesus is the death of death. He says in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Can you move to that next slide, please? With Jesus, he is that resurrection and the life. He says, Lazarus, come out. Wake up out of the hiddenness. Can you picture being there? Out of this cave. We see movement. (sighs) Movement. Dead man walking. And he comes out. And his body that was prepared for death is now unbound and ready for life again. Can you imagine the conversation if Lazarus was at your dinner table? Jesus was going to experience that in the future. But right now, we see a guy who stunk like death living because of the word of God through Jesus. Come out. Come out. Jesus was teaching us that he is the death of death. He told us that everyone who lives and believes in him will never die. And he taught through this miracle for his disciples then. You've now seen this experience. Let it solidify your faith. Believe. And he calls us today to come out of death and into life because he is the resurrection and the life. We need, folks, listen, we need Jesus to take our death from us. And that's why we hold the cross so high. Because it's not about us trying to be good. So many of us have come from backgrounds in the church where we think, I've got to go to church. I've got to give in the offering. I've got to be there in order to be holy. I've got to do all these things because if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, God will love me. And, and this couldn't fly further in the face. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. And when it comes to our death, we got nothing if we don't have Jesus. That's why taking our death, he took my pain. He took my sin on the cross. All of God's anger, all of God's righteousness was poured out on the cross. And it was good enough for God because only Jesus is the death of death. It's only Jesus who can save me from death. Because he's the resurrection and he's the life. You can say what you want about religion, but Bible is focusing on your relationship with Christ. He calls us to come out of death and into life. He took the punishment for my sin. His death 
prevents my death. And we are identified with Christ. One of the things we do, and we'll be celebrating baptism after this service, but we show a picture of what has happened to us through Christ. When we dunk someone underwater, we are identifying that our death was paid for by Jesus. We are identified his death was ours. And because we don't hold them down for long, we bring them up, right? We also identify with he as the resurrection. That it's through his conquering of the death, his resurrection from the dead, that we have life. He is the death of death. And so at my death, I will have already died because Christ died for me. And my soul, that most important part of me that will live forever, will never die. I will not go out of existence. And I will meet the Lord because of his work for me. And I will live forever. I will never die. Do you realize that? It will just be a new beginning. And it, but it will be a, a new beginning that's only with Jesus. Because Jesus is the death of death. What do we learn from this? Well, many things. First thing is this. Do not view the presence of pain or death to be the absence of God. Do not mistake the presence of pain for the absence of God. Jesus here is embracing loss and pain and suffering. And he goes the distance even to death to defeat it. He's showing us, he's showing us that in the future, that any who believe in him will never die. And just like Lazarus was called by Jesus, come out at your death. Jesus will call your soul. Come out and you will be with him forever because he is the resurrection and the life. This changes how I view my world. It does. Here's why. If Jesus will experience and embrace pain and suffering and death with life, then we need to also. If I'm a believer that Jesus is the resurrection, at my death, I've got nothing to lose. It's what Paul said. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Our world says to die is loss. Jesus says our world is gain. My, my, if I die, it's gain. It's only because Jesus is the death of death. This changes how I view my life. In the brokenness, in the messed up sin of this world. Talked to a woman once who looked at this passage and realized even in a background of sexual abuse before she was the age of 10 that Jesus cared about her. That her life was not to be ruined. It was not to be ruined. The end of her picture was not the loss of what was robbed from her. It was not that what she doesn't have. It's what she has in Christ. And if if Jesus could call it out of darkness and out of death, then he could begin with her again. And she could trust him again. She wouldn't have to explain why this happened, but she could begin to trust him. And I have seen it. And I've seen us. And I have no idea how the power of God worked in her life. Because for me, it's just one of those, wow, how do you even trust anyone, anything anymore? But I saw Jesus call her out of death 
and into life. Her life would not be about seeking revenge. Her life would not be about abusing her life in the future. It would be about trusting Christ. I also see the same emotion that moved Jesus to buck up and face death in its face is that same emotion that we're called to bring his light and his resurrection in this world. We're called to bring compassion and comfort and consolation to a world messed up by sin, to people hurting, hurting so, so deeply and darkly that they can't imagine a God who loves them. But we can love them, and we can share the love of God in their lives. You see, it all comes down to this for us. It comes down to a response that Jesus draws out from people. And the response is listed in the rest of the passage in John 11. It's a response to either believe in Jesus or reject Jesus. You either believe in Jesus as your resurrection and live, or you reject Jesus and you're defeated by death. Death for eternity. Your response, believe or reject. That's what I want to talk to you about right now. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, when it comes to your death, what confidence are you operating with? See, that's a lot of people kind of define their faith like that. At my death, I'd like to think that if I've done all the good things that I should have done, I know I'm not perfect, but I've done enough good things that God owes it to me to, to be my life, to give me life. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am your resurrection and their life. There's nothing you can do that would deserve it. And by the way, that's why I had to come and die, because you'll never be good enough. That's what grace is about. It's about what trusting in what God can only do for you. It's undeserved. None of us deserve it, but it's been freely given by God on the cross. Do you believe in Jesus? Or do you reject him and go your own way? And frankly, frankly, you really don't have much to offer me if I reject Jesus. You just got... Make the best of it, because when you're gone, baby, you're gone. You have no hope at, at, at death. You have nothing but loss. You do not have life. And it's the promise of Jesus that calls and, and really addresses the longing of our souls. He answers the question, what happens at my death? Jesus says, through me, you live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this passage that calls you the resurrection and the life, the death of death. We believe. We believe. And I pray that, that as we worship and we, we contemplate this song that we're about to sing and we sing it, that you would build our faith, that we would be people who live because you've died for us, who live because you are the resurrection and the life. We trust you for it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.